Well, turn to John chapter 6. If you're new, no worries. Uh, you can jump right in. And I'm sure you probably already know the storyline. <laughs> but uh, we are looking at uh, this gospel and answer, asking the question, who is this Jesus? Because that's John's intent. He says, there's a lot of miracles Jesus has done, but I've only picked a few. And this section that we're going to look at this morning, only 27 verses, should cause us to sit up and take nourishment because there's two, not one, there's two signs that he says, hey, I want to highlight today. So if you would, turn to chapter 6. This is really a two-part because next week we're going to look at what really is the commentary on the first part of this chapter, that is the turning the bread uh, or multiplying the bread. The first account that we're going to see here in chapter 6, verse 1, is found in all four Gospels. I'm going to give you a little clue with Bible study. If you're studying one of the Gospels, you want to see if there's a parallel account in the others. Does that make sense? So this multiplication scene that's found here in John, you'll find it in Matthew, you'll find it in Mark, and you'll find it in Luke. You really need to look at the parallel accounts uh, because that helps in uh, and, and looking at this. Not that there's going to be a discrepancy. Uh, I, I tell my students, like a diamond that's spinning, you know, and some are looking at carrot. And you know, remember when you bought a diamond? You look, you know, some it's the carrot, others, oh, no, I want clarity. And I forget the four C's, but you got them, right? And so you look at this diamond. And so there's different, yeah, there's different aspects of that depending on where you're standing. The four gospel writers are looking at this diamond, this life of Christ, and they're teasing things out for the narrative for the purpose of why they're writing. John tells us his purpose. We saw that. So that you might believe Jesus is the Christ. So he's going to condense things. Other things he's going to highlight. But this scene is found in all four. It's very significant. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing. Remember the Samaritans? They believed on his signs? No. And what he said. That's key. And he said they were observing this. So Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down there with the disciples. Now the Jewish feast of the Passover was near. That's significant. Uh, again, if it wasn't for John's gospel, we would not have known Jesus' ministry uh, lasted over three years. Then Jesus, when he looked up, it's the same phrase used when he said to the disciples when the Samaritans were coming, he says, look up, the, the harvest is plentiful, right? So why didn't a harvest? It's ready to, to, to pick. He saw a large crowd was coming to him. and He said to Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? <laughs> what a crazy question. I've taken enough groups to the north side of Sea of Galilee. Even today, finding enough food for 40 people can be difficult, right? Uh, and there's a lot of falafel stands, but mm, you don't want to eat those too many times. So, you know, what are you going to eat? And Jesus said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, 200 silver coins worth of bread would not be enough for them, for each one to get a little. Uh, 200 denarii is about a year's salary. Uh, you'll hear some say one denarius was a, a day's wage for a soldier. That probably is a little too generous, and the average person makes less. So he's saying a year's salary wouldn't have been able to provide enough food for all these people. And one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, well, here's a boy who has five barley loaves. Interesting uh, uh, 
tells you the poverty level. This is barley and two fish. But what good are these for so many people? <laughs> Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was a lot of grass. Yeah, it's Passover time. It's green is what Mark tells us, green grass. Uh, and it will be brown by the end of May in this region. So the man sat down, or the men sat down about 5,000 in number. That's 5,000 men. That does not include women and children. So you're looking at probably 15 to 20,000 people here. Don't miss that. I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, this is an enormous crowd. No wonder they said, where are you going to get enough food to feed this group? And even if you could, we couldn't afford it. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated. He then did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. That's a key line. And they were all satisfied. Jesus said, disciples, gather up the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves. John, this is the second time he emphasized five. Why? Showing you the magnitude of the miracle. This isn't 5,000 loaves. It was only five, right? We saw that there's only six water pots in Cana. Uh, not only, that was a lot. But he's showing you, the, the, again, the magnitude of these miracles uh, left over for the people who had eaten. Well, what's going on here? Let's look at this scene as we look at the bread of life, is what I've titled this, the provisions, the multiplication of bread. I mentioned there in your notes under 6.6 to test him, that is to test Philip, uh, normally conveys a negative connotation, uh, but not, I, not always. In Hebrews, in ele chapter 11, it's used of Abraham, and, and in that, it's, I don't think in a negative way, and I don't think that's the case here. So, uh, he, he's trying to prove his faith. How, how are you, Philip, in this? This is really an object lesson for the disciples, not for the 5,000 plus. Why do you think there's 12 baskets? <laughs> they each get to walk away with one to remember. Yeah, this is what Jesus did. I, I, this isn't, I've heard all sorts of things about the 12. I think it's merely an object lesson. Don't miss this and let me help you see that clearly for yourself. In fact, under 613, uh, there in your notes, Keener writes that the disciples filled 12 baskets, simply underlines afresh the abundance of the miracle. He says 12 is the maximum number that these disciples could reasonably carry. And then Keener, quintessential Keener, loves the background material. He talks about how uh, you wouldn't waste anything in this culture. And to take food from a host that, that has, food that's been provided to you from a host would have been very taboo. So you were expected to give the leftovers back to the family so that they could eat those later on, etc. So I think that's part of it as well. But 12 baskets. I mean, there could have, Jesus could have had 30 baskets left over, right? But he has only 12 uh, to provide for this group. Again, the focus is on the disciples. And we're going to see that here in this next scene. And as I mentioned in your notes, Jesus' kingship will become an issue. And that's what we're going to see from the crowd. It's, for many of them, this is probably the first meal they've had for a couple of days. Uh, we know that about 85% uh, of the wealth was controlled with less than about 5 to 10% of the population. 
And many people had no idea what they were going to eat the next day. That's why bread was the major staple uh, in Galilee. Thankfully, you had fish. But seldom would people eat meat, etc. And so to have this kind of provision, whoo, this is great. This is fantastic. It said, when the people saw the miraculous sign, verse 14, that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, this is certainly the prophet who is to come into the world. Uh, in the Net Bible, it's capitalized. This is the prophet. What are they talking about? In Deuteronomy 18, Moses was told, or the people were told, that God was going to raise up someone like Moses, a prophet who would lead the people. Just as Moses provided manna, Christ is providing food for them. Right? Unfortunately, bread becomes a stumbling block in Israel's history time and time again. Doesn't it? It was a problem in the wilderness. It's going to be a problem here. And notice what it says. Then Jesus, because he knew that they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up into the mountainside alone. And the, the synoptic gospels tell us why he did. Why did he go up to the mountaintop alone, according to Luke's gospel, for instance, to pray? Luke, by the way, mentions nine different times Jesus prays in specific areas of his life. It's very interesting. Every time there's a major event in the life of Jesus, he's found praying. And I remember oh, Howie Hendricks would say, if the Son of Man needed to pray when he was on the earth, how much more we? Right? There were a lot of things Jesus could have done at this point, and he, he goes and he says, no, 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 you, you've missed why I have come and who I am. I'm not your earthly king. I am the king of kings. And I have much more to provide than just little bread and fishies for you, right? And that's demonstrated in this next scene. I, I'm amazed at scholars who say, ah, this next scene shouldn't have belonged here. It was added later. It doesn't fit. I think it's a perfect fit for what we're seeing happening. It says that now, verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. They got into a boat and started across the lake to Capernaum. You're going, why would they do that when Jesus isn't there, right? Don't set sail until the Messiah is in your, in your boat, in the stern. It's because they think he probably walked on to Capernaum. It's not that far. It's a few miles from Bethsaida uh, over to Capernaum. It says, in fact, I think I even have a map. Let's, let's do this next one. So you can see, there's the Sea of Galilee. You see Bethsaida on the north side? All right. So we're just going, I mean, and this sea is only about seven miles by uh, 12 miles. It's not that big. I remember the first time I saw the Sea of Galilee, I said, that's it? That's not a sea. That's a pond, right? Uh, it's not that big, but it's, it's deceiving. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, so, and, and the, you think about this, the bulk of Jesus' ministry on earth is right here. That's it. That's it. It's amazing. We stand, we stand on the shore of Capernaum. I say, put your arm out like this and your other arm like this. You see that quadrant of land? That's the bulk of his ministry right there. Well, he has an object lesson for the disciples. Let's see what happens. It's the only time we see all of the disciples involved he says, it has already been dark. Verse 17. Remember what we talked about with light and darkness in John's gospel? 
what does dark symbolize? Satan, realm of unbelief, the absence of God, uh, realm of doubt. It's all right in there. And Jesus had not yet come to them. By now a strong wind was blowing and the sea was getting rough. During both the summer and winter, there are storms that can arise out of nowhere and waves can go up to about seven feet. I had a guide who said she had a group of American sailors on a tour and all of a sudden a storm came and she said they were scared spitless. And she said, so was I. And they're all just on one of those boats, you know, you sing and dance on and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's because right through here, you can't see it on this map very well, but there's a, the Arbel Pass comes through and that wind comes up through and it raises up the waves. And these, these are experienced fishermen. They spent a lot of time on the Sea of Galilee. And you're saying, well, yeah, but it's night. Well, that's when they fished was at night. So they're used to being out there. You don't, you don't go out fishing during the day because that's when the storms came. So this is atypical. And it's alarming because it's early. It's not summer. It's early, it's early spring. This is not fit the modus operandi at all. No wonder they're scared spitless. But that doesn't really what frightens them most, right? Verse 19, then when they had rowed about three or four miles out, they're too far away to get to the shore, they caught sight of Jesus walking on the lake, approaching the boat, and then they were indeed frightened. The synoptic writers tell us, <clears throat> while well, Matthew and Mark do, that they thought it was a ghost. Uh, I tell those who go on our tours, if you can walk on water, it's a free tour. But uh, no one's taken me up on that. But he said to them, it is I. It's loaded. I am. It's what's going to be the, the springboard for the, all of the I am statements that we're going to see soon in the narrative. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He goes, I am. Don't be afraid. The guy who multiplied the fishies and the loaves is the same God that stands here and says, I am. And they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat came to land and where they had been heading. We don't see the response of the disciples here. John moves right into the narrative. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the lake realized that only one small boat had been there and that Jesus had not boarded it. <laughs> Clue phone, right? Ah. The disciples have left. Jesus must have then departed. Where would he go? The place he hangs out frequently, Capernaum. And so the disciples all had gone away, but some boats from Tiberias came to shore near the place where they had eaten the bread. That's in Bethsaida. And so when the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into a boat and came to Capernaum looking for him. So you, you got this visual, don't you? All these boats coming across from Tiberias, which is on, you can see that's a, nearly half across the lake. It's right here, All right? And so they've come over to Bethsaida. They're looking as well. Jesus' ministry has spread. He, this is the guy that provides food. Wow, this is great. We got to get there. Where's those chocolate bonbons? Let's get them. Love it. And so they're coming from all over. This is the shortest and the simplest account of Jesus walking on water in all of the Gospels. And yet, it's very pointed what John is trying to say, I would argue. And in your notes, in that first paragraph under walking on water, I said the scene depicts Jesus as the one true deity, for it was God who walks on waters. 
Job 9 says, God is the one who treads on the waters. <laughs> Isn't that a great line? Uh, that'll be a new one for Nike advertisement. Turn to Isaiah 63. I want you to see a text that we sometimes miss. The disciples should not have missed this. Just as the miracle at Cana happening at a wedding was significant, so is this scene of Jesus walking on water. Because who controls the waters? <clears throat> Isaiah 63. We'll look at verses 11 through 16. His people remember in the ancient times, where is the one who brought them up out of the sea along with the shepherd of his flock? Where is the one who placed the Holy Spirit among them? The one who made his majestic power <clears throat> available to Moses. Who divided the water, gaining for himself a lasting reputation? <clears throat> Excuse me. Like an animal that goes down in a valley to graze, so the Spirit of the Lord granted them rest. In this way, you guided your people, gaining for yourself an honored reputation. Look down from heaven and take notice from your holy, majestic palace. Do not hold back your tender compassion. For you are our father through Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize you, Lord, are our father. You have been called our protector from ancient times. What's Jesus saying? I am the God of the universe. I'm the one who calms the storms. I'm the one that provides bread to the soul, right? <laughs> you all are freaking out about where you're going to buy bread and, and where you're going to get the money to do that. You're scared about seeing something you don't understand. They have these preconceived ideas <clears throat> of who Jesus should be and what he should do. And Jesus says, no, move out of the way. <laughs> Allow me to instruct you who I am and what I'm capable of doing. I am the God that you read of in the Old Testament. The disciples instead are confused, right? <laughs> They're in this realm of doubt and, and as I mentioned there in your notes on top of page two, this is the only miracle in John that involves solely the 12 disciples. No one else is present. And what I think he's telling them is, I am your God. In fact, I mentioned in the paragraph under the crowd's confusion, which we'll get to in a minute. I state, the crowd looked for a royal king who could meet their physical needs, failing to realize that Jesus was the king of kings who could meet their spiritual needs, right? Questions on this scene? It's, uh, it's not a mistake, it's here. He yanks the disciples away from the crowd to say, Let, I want to show you something. You, you need to see this. <laughs> you need to recognize who I am. You're missing it. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, there's certain things that John leaves out. We can speculate. I don't, we don't have that. In fact, the transfiguration is omitted in John's gospel, which is such a powerful scene in the synoptics. And later, Peter refers to it as validation of his apostolic authority in writing. In many ways, this functions like the transfiguration, right? What happened to the transfiguration? Jesus in all his glory. Walking on water, he's saying, I am God. This is who I am. So... Um, And, and for John, I think another reason why we may not have Peter's situation is that for John, faith is from the get-go and, and seen through these miracles. So he's stressing the faith and glory that are attached. 
In fact, look at this in light of how the crowds, I was looking at this morning again, it just hit me. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, who's they? The crowd, the ones that have been fed, right? They're the ones who had the wonder bread earlier. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Wrong question. Wrong question. They're concerned about when and not who. Right? Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, you're looking for me, not because you see miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. What drives them in their theology is self-centeredness. Right? What were they supposed to see in miraculous signs? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you might believe. They missed it. Right? They wanted another meal. You know, where's the, where's the food, you know? What's going on here? Bunch of junior hires, right? Where's the donuts? The loaves of bread you want to do not work for the food that disappears. Don't miss this. He's not talking that salvation is by doing particular works. How do we know that? Verse 29, this is the deed God requires that you believe in the one whom he sent. The problem is you're concerned about getting your bellies filled. And the only reason you want me around is you want me to be king so I can provide more food for you when you're forgetting that I am the great God of the universe <laughs> that is here to provide. And, and interesting, the Lord is there when he provides all of the food. He's there in the midst of the storm. Right? And in all of this, he says, I am. He'll say, I'm the bread of life, which we'll see later on next week. But it says in verse 27, do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give to you, for God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. That's why some say this is like the transfiguration, because at the transfiguration, the Father says, this is my beloved Son. He puts the seal on him, and it's stressed here in this narrative. That's right. There would have been a, a criticism being raised. You know, it's, I, I wrote down, we look for answers and assistance from the Lord. And it's so often we forget, no, this is just bask in who he is. <laughs> just stop. Um, all the concerns we have of life. And in, in, yes, these, these poor people, they've got children that need to be fed. Here's a guy that can do that. And, and they're missing and so often, and we've already seen this with Nicodemus, and we see it with the Samaritan woman, they're thinking on a natural, physical level, and they miss the spiritual. It reminds you a little bit of Esau, doesn't it? <clears throat> Willing to chuck the farm just so you can have some food. And I see that. I see it in my kids, you know? I see it in our culture. Uh, careful. Uh, we have to think, we have to look beyond what we have here and, and, and look at Christ it's interesting the connections with this scene and Psalm 107. Uh, I've got this handy dandy little chart in your notes, but if you want, turn, turn to Psalm 107. I want you to see this because there is a bit of an Exodus overtones in this. Uh, the water issue, the bread issue, uh, it being in the Passover, I don't think it's a coincidence. There's a strong Again, Passover notion to this, and Psalm 107 discusses this, and I want you to see the connections between what we have just viewed and what Psalm 107 highlights. I do think there's parallels, so much so that I, I can't help but think this isn't a bit governing 
what we find in uh, John 6. Give thanks to the Lord, verse 1 of 107, for he is good and his loyal love endures. Yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And gathered foreign lands from east to west. He gave them, verse 8, thank, they, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love. On it goes. Verse 13, they cried out to the Lord in their distress. He delivered them from troubles. Verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love, for the amazing things he's done. And the psalmist is re rehearsing this, but look what it says. Verse 18, they lost their appetite for food. They drew near to the gates of death. They cried out to the Lord in their distress and their troubles. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loyal love, for what he has done. And on he goes. Verse 24, they witnessed the acts of the Lord, his amazing feats on the deep water. He gave the order for a windstorm and it stirred up the waves. They reached up in the skies. They dropped to the depths. They swayed and they swaggered. Verse 28, they cried out to the Lord and he delivered them of their troubles. You catching this? Issues of food. I mean, look at the parallels. People were hungry. He provides the same issue, right? He satisfies their hunger. We see that in both accounts. Some go down to the sea in ships. The text tells us they meet a storm. They cry out. God delivers. And verse 43 of Psalm 107. This is the point. Well, Whoever is wise, let him take note of these things. Let them consider the Lord's acts of loyal love. Take that loyal love, that Hebrew word chesed, and just paste it over John 6. Right? I am the bread of life. I've come to give you abundant life, nourishment to the soul. And I will provide for you even in the midst of the storms because of my love for you. Isn't that great? Just the connections. If you have a chance later this week, read 107 again and light of John 6. It will shock you the parallels between the two accounts. Well, let me give you a few things. You're going, okay, Hafidetz, thanks, that's great. Uh, what do I run with today, this morning? Let me give you three things to look at in your notes. Number one, <clears throat> I state his provisions rest upon his identity and his power. Psalm 139 mentions this. You know, his actions are not, thank goodness, determined by human decrees, human desires, human needs, or even uh, wishes or wants, right? The, the crowd had a, what they thought they understood, and Jesus said, nope, <laughs> I know something far better for you. We were talking earlier, I think it was Roger and I were talking about, he goes, how, how, how can the Lord, I know he's sovereign, but this whole thing in Texas, how do you rationalize this? You can't. Could he have stopped it? Yep. His provisions rest upon his identity and his power. And we rest in who he is. His reputation's at stake. You know, secondly, his provisions are in accordance with what he knows is best for us. Not what we think is best, but what he knows is best. Again, he gave the disciples in particular not only bread, he also gave them a storm. And you may say, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm in the storm. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Bread, I mentioned this, bread and, or manna was often a stumbling block in Israel's history. 
Isaiah 46. Just look at this text briefly. Isaiah 46 is in the context of how the Lord <clears throat> is superior to the Babylonian gods. <clears throat> Isaiah 46, excuse me. Verses 9 through 11. Just look at this text. Remember what is accomplished in antiquity. Truly I am God. I have no peer. I am God and there is none like me. Who announces the beginning from the end. As a reminder of Christ's words in Revelation, right? I am the Alpha and Omega. I'm the first letter of the alphabet. I'm the end. I was there at the beginning. I'll be there even after the end is completed. I will accomplish what I desire. The God who, who parted a Red Sea is the same God who calmed the storm. And he's the same God that, that is by our side. If you know Jesus as your Savior. And he's, his provisions is what he knows is best. And that leads us really to the third thing here. And that is his provisions his, provide true peace and true satisfaction. That's what he's saying. You know, I could give you bread, this manna, that's fine. Or it's not going to satisfy you. And it's just like us as humans, right? The things we want, sometimes because we don't see the big picture, we think, well, Lord, if I just had this, and the Lord's saying, oh, you don't understand, I give you that? <laughs> give you a year, you're going to want more. You're going to miss it. Or the Samaritan woman. Well, yeah, I can give you a, a bucket of water. I can give you a gallon of water, whatever you want, but it's not going to satisfy. Psalm 73 is in the context of the wicked prospering. And the psalmist states, and even in the midst of this, and my heart may fail, I trust you. And I know you are God. I know you'll provide. Questions, comments on this powerful scene? Actually, two of them. To me, the bread, the man is, is the, the side note. The real scene is when he pulls the disciples inside and says, how, how can I provide bread? Because I'm God. Just watch me calm a storm. <laughs> right? And I know there are those of you in this room who can say, yeah, I've walked the storms and I've seen him calm it. I know he's God. I've seen his hand in my life. Comments? I'm starting to preach. I won't preach. I thought we'd do something different we haven't done for a while, and that's do a little bit of responsive reading. I teased out some text from the Old and New Testament. It's on the last page of your notes. You'll read the bold. I'll read the not so bold. And uh, we'll just kind of rehearse what God has done for us as a group of men. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance faith. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I know whom I believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him for that day. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have, what we have asked of him, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High 
will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk as blameless. Hmm. That's our God, right? He's there providing the bread. He's there in the midst of the storms. And in so doing, he stakes his reputation on it. (laughs) And he knows what is best. Comments? Yeah, Kyle? Mm-hmm. You know, when, I don't know about you all, but when things are unraveling, it's so easy to say, okay, I've been trained, pull your bootstraps up, and let's get this done. Instead of stopping and saying, Lord, I look to you. Um, I think it was Spurgeon who said, I'm too busy not to pray. <laughs> you can relate, right? Psalm 93, I have at the bottom of your notes, more majestic than the thunders of mighty waters. (laughs) Even those six to seven foot waves on the Sea of Galilee, more majestic than the waves of the sea, majestic on high is the Lord. And might I include our Lord. That's who we serve. Well, I hope just... Take those verses, the the last page of the notes, and as I've said before, hang it on your beak. Run with those this week. Think about this God that we serve. I am, do not be afraid, he says. Father, we thank you for your word. Written nearly 2,000 years ago, these ancient words are true and they're relevant And Lord, we live in a world right now where there is waves crashing in on all sides. Uh, It just seems like things are unraveling. Where are the good old days, it seems, that we've we've missed? And uh, everyone seems to be doing as the time of judges what's right in their own eyes. We're so grateful that in the midst of the storm, there you are. Remember Corey Timboom saying, better to be in the eye of the storm where the Lord is than out in the calm, sweet uh, pasture. And that is so true. To know that you are there, to know that you're providing and you care for us. And Lord, I have to confess, there's times when it's not how I wrote the plan book. At least that's not what I would have done. Uh, There's certain things that we would maybe do differently. And yet you're saying, no, this is my plan. This is how I'm guiding. This is how I'm governing. And Lord, we just need to simply trust 